Tony and Thad this week, and you know what, guys? We never talk about the snacks, but just to let you guys in on this, we have snacks every week. Catered by Red. He's he's a magician. They're great. Oh, I'm happy to do it. Artist. But we did. I went a little bit different on the snacks today, and we made a very spicy chip dip. So (laughs) we we might (laughs) there might be some tears. See if our commentary gets more spicy. Uh-huh. Definitely, I'm definitely drinking more of this beer than I typically do beca- yeah. to wash down. Some we also never talk about the beer we drink. Yeah, we're uh, not super professional, you guys. If you don't haven't no. noticed, I'm like this is not a like a nine to five kind of gig. This is all just on our free time sort of thing. So we do drink beer while we do this. I would argue it's professional Wisconsin podcasting. Oh, it's a professional. We are in Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, not it, much is done in Wisconsin without beer. And we have uh, a British beer today, um, which actually, there's not very many choices of British beer at the grocery store right now, so... No. Whatever, we picked up a pretty standard one, and I don't know, should we buzz market the... I don't... It's a very corporate thing. We can... Thing. We should, I feel like we shouldn't. I, I honestly think that it would be good to incorporate us talking about what beers we drink uh, while oh, yeah. we're recording, because as you both um, listeners might be well aware, I am a big beer fan and brew my own beer, so I'm oh, yeah. I'm always interested to know what people are drinking, like, um, to get completely off topic. You guys ever watch the Red Letter Media guys on YouTube? Oh yeah, they were the ones who did like the the uh, the Star Wars prequel, like just complete de- deconstruction and teardown of that are phenomenal. Well, they're from Milwaukee, so I always like it when I'm watching their things. I'm like, oh, they're drinking this beer and this beer. I get those same beers, <laughs> so I, I'm always interested in that. Yeah, I I am currently drinking a Bass. That's the British one. And by currently drinking, I mean I just finished it. Yeah, it's good. It's, you know, it's a pale ale, but it's not like a, a more modern IPA where it's very hoppy. I mean, there's a hops to it, but it's not so bitter, more in the floral range. Um, kind of generic in that it's not really citrusy or fruity. just kind of middle, middling for hops flavor. You know, more appropriate to the podcast, I have, what is it, Revolution Brewing, which I think is out of Milwaukee. Chicago, I believe. Oh, you're right. Uh, out of Chicago, and this is like their Eugene Debs Porter, which is good. It's a porter. I don't have as many words as Tony about the taste of beer. I just like it, and I don't know anything about Revolution, but maybe we can look into it and talk about it sometime, but they, they at least in their marketing efforts, are are not afraid to put Eugene Debs, famous American socialist presidential candidate, on their uh, beer cans. It's funny, yeah. I would assume, looking at that, that they they have they share some ideals related to socialism or communism, but the ability for capitalism to commodify everything. I mean, you could really commercialize that. I mean, it's been done before, right? Just be like, 
the most capitalist, cynical company ever, and, and just name it that. Um, I'm drinking a Potosi beer. It's a Belgian-style wheat beer. It's their Wiestein wheat. And uh, there's a little gnome on the front. It's adorable. And, you know, it's great. Tastes great. I also don't have a whole lot to say about the nuances of flavor in beer, but it tastes wonderful. Okay, so we teased it a little bit earlier, but our first topic, maybe, I don't know how long it'll be, maybe a short one, we'll see, is the British election. So we're recording this on, what is it, June 4th? Yep. And the British election is on the 8th. Yeah, which is Thursday? Yes. So we are just a few days before it. And by the time this comes out, I'm it'll be sure it'll be long after it. Yeah. Hot takes turn cold. <laughs> right. Uh, but it'll be kind of, you know what I think, uh, we should discuss a little bit about the situation, how we got here, what it currently is. But at the end of it, I think it'd be fun to make some predictions and then our listeners can see how terribly wrong or creepily uh, on point our predictions may have been. Yeah. That's the best part about doing predictions is... You know, if you're wrong, I mean, I, that's how that's how political pundits have a career. Is if you're wrong, nobody remembers. But if you're right, they never forget. Well, what if the first time they hear you is they already know if you're right or wrong? Well, still, no one cares. No, look at Jim Cramer still has a job. So okay, on on a productive side, I think it's actually really worthwhile to see to look back and see why you were thinking the things you were thinking, and, and then juxtapose that with the actual outcome with. Even if it supports what you're saying, there's probably not – you can't be perfect. It's very unlikely that you have every every aspect of it right. But it, especially if you're wrong, it, mm-hmm. it's really useful to see why you were and maybe what other things you need to examine now about what took place. So. Right, like the favorite pastime of every left-winger or socialist is to re-examine history once again, go back one more time and figure out what really went wrong with the Soviet Union. I think we need more of that in modern day politics and especially in like editorializing news items. Like there's a lot of like giving the hot take, giving the the opinion now and then just moving on to the next thing that happens. And we don't have a whole lot of like digesting things over the course of weeks or months. I I think some folks do it okay. But yeah, yeah. that's not really what gets people tuning in, I bet. So let's do some of that. In uh, Britain's current prime minister is Theresa May. She's the head of the conservative or Tory party. And she is basically there because of the Brexit vote, uh, which is Britain's exit from the European Union. Which is a terrible, terrible idea. Yeah, essentially... I mean, I, th- I think you can draw kind of a parallel between the Brexit voters and Trump voters. It's sort of uh, small town or rural kind of folks who uh, feel left behind, left out, uh, not uh, serviced, and which is, I mean, often true in many ways, but they've decided to place their anger, to place their blame on, in their case, the European Union. Yeah, and I mean, um, for, for people who didn't pay too much attention, it was run very much like the Trump campaign. It's the immigrants are taking our jobs, and by this they're specifically referring to, like, some of the poor periphery nations. Right, in but the all those EU. Polish people, that's what right. they're really, yeah, it's not, right. they don't want to build a wall to keep out the Mexicans, they just want to stop the Polish people from coming in. Right. Which, which as an American, harkens back to, like, 
the weird days of of racism where one group of white people didn't like another group of white people. You, you don't see that very much in America anymore. You haven't spoken to my mother-in-law enough. Um, <laughs> uh, and another thing, too, that I think sort of rings with uh, Trump and Brexit sort of overlapping is that they were talking about how, you know, underfunded things are because you have to deal with this stuff. I don't remember how many millions they were saying they were just giving to the EU every day or something like that. And like, oh, we'll, we'll put that all into the national health care. Except as soon as the day after, the day they won the vote, they're like, oh, no, we're not going to do that. We can't do that. <laughs> yeah. An- another parallel that I saw was just in the voters themselves. A lot of, well, I think David Cameron, I remember hearing that he thought it was going to be a loss. He thought it would be easily lost. And him even putting it up for the vote was a political move to show like there's, there isn't support for this and whatever. And it ended up backfiring on him pretty catastrophically. But I also think a lot of voters saw it as a, afterwards, there were, there were interviews with voters who said, I wanted to send this message out there, but I didn't think it would win. And or I didn't realize that that's what it would mean to like to, that there'd be all these other consequences that they learn about after the vote about leaving the European Union. Yeah, or like, we didn't the, realize that this would be terrible for trade and that the pound would go down against other currencies. And, and blah, a, blah, blah. yeah, a lot of things that were promised to them were kind of framed in very simplistic terms, and that that yeah. reminded me of Trump as well. Um, and then and then the vote took place, and well, but actually, right there's that doesn't actually legally move things right it's yeah still, well, something else has to happen yeah the weird thing is the vote on the referendum on brexit was non-binding but this is really interesting to me is the folks in britain felt like oh we have to follow it otherwise we'd be making a mockery of democracy which is interesting because i feel like on the left-hand side of things that doesn't happen all the time where you know uh, a campaign promise might be made but when that candidate gets into office, well, you know, they're not really going to go all the way on that, you know. Uh, an example from Obama would be the Employee Free Choice Act, which was going to make it much easier to form a union. Right now, you have to, like, organize, like, a workplace election and blah, blah, blah. Like, there's all these kind of extra things you need to do that give the employer a lot of time to propagandize anti-union stuff. Uh, the Employee Free Choice Act was, look, if you can get signatures of half the members or more of a workplace, boom, you got a union. So you can go around doing this uh, without necessarily the boss knowing about it, which is, I mean, if more than half the people sign up, that's great. There you go. But that did not go through under Obama, even though that was kind of a campaign promise, and that was a a thing that a lot of folks were really hoping for. But you know, in that case, and in, you know, that's just one example, but in many other cases, I feel like on the left-hand side of things, yeah, we voted for him, but he doesn't actually have to follow through on it. It's maybe not how the, the population thinks, but it's certainly how politics works. Yeah, and I think it's interesting then, too, with Britain, not only them following up, but, you know, David Cameron resigned after his loss. Um so with the leadership thing, Theresa May ended up being the new prime minister, which is weird because the other leading candidate uh, for that position is Boris Johnson, who uh, I think I said before we were recording is not unfairly described as an orangutan in a suit. 
um, look at a picture of him or listen to him speak if you think that's unfair. Um, but he. <laughs> but I think that's just mainly because he's British, honestly. <laughs> I don't know that that's because he's conservative. Uh, he just seems British to me. He's. Yeah, I don't know. He's weird. Um, but anyway. The weird thing is, Boris Johnson backed Brexit, and Theresa May actually was against Brexit, but she ended up being the Prime Minister and then the unhappy, question mark, implementer of Brexit, who actually did trigger the, I don't remember what it is, Article 28 or something? Yeah, like, started the process, essentially. Which gives them, I think, sets up negotiations for the Brexit. But anyway... Um, in light of that, sort of with the Brexit vote almost, we'll, we'll see in our predictions if we think it's a parallel. The Tories, uh, have seen a pretty high approval rating. And Labour, uh, especially has had a lot of, uh, leadership issues and not in the actual leader himself, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, but in the, the sort of old guard third-way capitalist members of the Labour Party, who are a lot of the MPs, really don't like that he's a socialist, whereas a lot of the rank-and-file really love that he's a socialist. Yeah, so there's it, been a lot of tension there. I feel like it's totally parallel to the battle in the Democratic Party that's happening right now. For a long time, the Democratic Party was the multicultural, global, softer version of the capitalist party. You know, it was the capitalist party that was, uh, that understood a little bit some race relations and was mm, kind of pro-gay rights as soon as it became popular enough. And, you know, that kind of stuff, right? And Bernie Sanders came through with, uh, I mean, honestly, not even that extreme of an agenda, but an agenda that the Democratic Party hadn't seen since... I don't know, whenever, a long time ago, the 60s or maybe before, something like that. That, you know, the, the, basically the style of the Democratic Party that was around, that was FDR, right? Yeah, or uh, Jesse Jackson's Rainbow Coalition. <laughs> okay. Um, and I th- the same thing is kind of happening in Britain where they're l- the Labour Party, which is the kind of the Democrats' equivalent there, uh, has for a long way uh, or a long time been sort of like this Bill Clinton style, you know, neoliberal, a little bit of austerity, but, you know, not quite as savage as the other team. Like the nice side of capitalism is basically what labor has been for a long time. And now Jeremy Corbyn is the party leader. That's what they call him. Right. And he that's that's upset a lot of them because they think he's too like, old-school socialist, you know, and, and, you know, it's not even that he's calling for a revolution, right? He's not a Leninist or something like that, but just, like, welfare state kind of FDR-style socialism. Yeah, he wants to reinvigorate the social contract that existed in Britain post-World War II, you know, rebuilding the NHS and nationalizing industries that are important and you know, making sure everybody has a decent job, wage, and uh, food. You know, one of the interesting things about this, at least that that I think is really interesting coming from the Americans' perspective, is how British elections work. I think it's five years 
and then you have to have a new election, or the prime minister can call the election early. Actually, that's half true. They changed that after... They recently changed that, and this is the first time it's come up. The prime minister can call for it, but uh, parliament has to okay it, which I think was a big misstep for the labor government, and that what they should have done when... Theresa May was calling for uh, uh, an early election because we should say the five year would put it I think 2018 or whenever they have to start doing the Brexit negotiations which is obviously when people start getting more unhappy with the Tories so it's a very cynical time to call it Um, but uh, the, the Labour Party really should have said well, why do you need this election? You know, everything's going good for you. What's wrong with your government that you feel that you need an election for? You know, they really should have called them out and tried to get, like, a vote of no confidence in their own government or something like that to, like, justify why there needed to be an election now. Dude, I don't know. I feel like if Labor would have said... I just mean they basically accepted it uncritically. Yeah! I think you have to, right? Like, you can't just say, no, we don't want an election, because then it looks like you're scared that you're going to lose. No, you can say, okay, fine, but what is your reasoning for an election? It can't just be that you feel you're advantageous. There must be a problem you see with the way you're running the government that you need some sort of, you know what I mean? Or you feel like your policies aren't good enough and you need... Dude, I mean, I think you... Okay, so you could say that. I doubt that that's how people would see it. I, I, Maybe. I don't know. I just... I mean, and couldn't you just always come up with a reason, though? I mean, if you have somebody with... Maybe, but... Any PR skills, you could just think up reasons. I mean, well, if you, I honestly... Theresa May doesn't have any PR skills is the thing, though. But, but, but here... I mean, what if they were just honest? Because here's what I think the honest answer is. I think their honest answer is, we think that we're really popular right now, and we think that we're going to win more seats and therefore be more powerful after the election, so, yeah, we're going to have one. In a more general way, you could say that right now the current seats do not represent uh, the, the people of the country. Yeah, because yeah. more people mm-hmm. support us now than ever before. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I just feel like it's kind of weird that there shouldn't... I, I don't know. I just think it would have been good to make them justified, at least in some way. Yeah. Because otherwise it seems just, okay, whatever. Like, what's the point of them having changed the law to make it so that Parliament has to okay it if you just go uncritically with what the PM says? Yeah. Which I mean, is something the Tories want to get rid of. Right uh, well, the only thing that having the parliament okay it is meaning if there's a split government unlike what britain has and unlike what the united states has then you can stop it but if it's the same party controls parliament as the prime minister then i don't see what why you'd stop right i don't know unless unless your party had a real falling out with your party's leader well i mean wouldn't be it that's how the labor party is right now yeah that's true Anyway, so uh, Theresa May calls this election, and like I said, the idea behind it is the conservatives are going to win more seats, they're going to uh, get more powerful after the election, that's why she calls it. And that's bizarre to me, that you can call an election at a time that you think is favorable to you. Eh, Okay, whatever, that's that's how it works. Uh, But the problem is that, and, and for a while it seemed like a good option 
But all of a sudden, Theresa May has been going down, down, down. And Jeremy Corbyn's been going up, up, up. Maybe we should clarify, too, that they don't actually elect the prime minister in the UK. Yeah. Uh, what they do is they vote for their local constituents. So sort of like the equivalent in the United States, like voting for your House of Representatives person. And then whichever party, if a party gets the majority... So over 50% of those, then they're the ones who are allowed to form the government. Because the prime minister is the head of state, or no, the head of government, and the queen is the head of state. I mean, I think there's two important things to say here. Is one is, you're voting for a par- party rather than a person, but we know who the heads of party are, so that was gonna be my easily question. translate party to right. person. Right. But then I think, I think your second point is super important and is a, quite a bit different, is... In America, whoever gets the most, or it's really unlikely that someone's not going to have enough votes to become president, right? When we have a presidential election, we're going to have a president at the end of it. In Britain, because there's multiple parties and because they don't have the same kind of electoral college baloney that we have, uh it's way more likely that there's not a single candidate that has 50% of the votes, and so you need to form a coalition government. Right. Which is the distinct... Well, we'll get into that later, because that is a distinct possibility for what will happen. Yeah. I mean, I guess the big change is that up until now, Theresa May was going to win outright. Conservatives were going to win. And now, they might even lose control. It's not just that they're going to lose their lead... They might, it might end up that they have a, what is it called, a hung parliament? Yeah, I think so. And then, and then, uh, depending on who is better at coalition building, the conservatives may be out or in. Why is Theresa May dropping in popularity? Uh, she's, what's the word I hear people use? Robotic and wooden? She's not really good talking to people. Oh, so it's Um, all charisma type thing. And Jeremy Corbyn... He's an old school socialist organizer, man. He loves going out in the streets, talking to people, talking to his cause. He's really good at this stuff. In fact, Theresa May's um, so bad at this stuff, she's refused to actually have any debates. Yeah, that was, I think, <laughs> one of the major things is when Jeremy Corbyn showed up for a debate and got to talk the entire time, and Theresa May didn't show up. Of course, the news station was really upset about that because. That would have been better for their ratings if she had showed up. So the news station really, like, derided her for being cowardly and not showing up and not, you know, at least having the respect of the British people to, you know, uh, answer the questions and blah, blah, blah. That's interesting. And that seems apart from necessarily, like, personality and charisma. Although I think those things have huge effects on elections. I'm so surprised that it would tank it that hard, but doing other things like just like not being willing like, to, yeah, yeah, in other interviews and talking to people, like she, she sounds like a robot. She doesn't interact well, and he's calm, cool, collected, very sure. Charismatic. I mean, that's part of how he won party leader. And it should also be mentioned too. Speaking of the media in Britain, the UK media hates Jeremy Corbyn. They absolutely hate him. There, I don't think there's a single paper. That has written, or a single major paper that has written anything good about him. All the way up from, like, his leadership uh, election, where he ended up being the head of the Labor Party. He's been attacked, derided. 
the MI5 has randomly, again, parallels to the U.S. election, has randomly opened up an investigation between him and the IRA, which is the Irish uh, Republic Army. Army. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like, just suddenly in the middle of the election, they're like, oh, we're going to investigate this because, you know, he's friendly with the Irish left. Um, and, you know, other things like that. They, the media just never portrays him nice and well. So again, it, too, like with Bernie Sanders, where the media just ignored him for so long. I mean, here he's getting more negative press, which you could sort of talk about. Hillary Clinton mostly got negative press when she got press, and Trump sort of got bemused press. Right. Um, it was negative, but ne- but like, isn't this amusing? Right, yeah, it was always so like, oh, can you believe this? He's so uh, outrageous. It's uh, and and then at, that really fueled his base. I mean, yeah. it wasn't they didn't care about the negative side; they cared that it was getting hackles up on the people they didn't like. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Theresa May drops in popularity now, which they don't expect, uh-huh. which could indicate a general drop in popularity for for her Tory party, uh-huh. which. Yeah, this is what you're talking about, which means that the the election is much more up in the air than they expected. Yeah. Now, this coalition government, how does that end up working? Basically, everybody wheels and deals. I mean, the Tories for a while uh, after after Labor lost it last time, I believe, and I apologize if I get this wrong. I not like super uh, full on paying attention to British politics all the time. But I believe after the Tories beat Labour, they formed a coalition government with the Lib Dems, or the Liberal Democrats, um, for a while. And then with the next election, they had uh, an outright majority. And then it was just them on their own until they called for this election. So basically what it is, is you make a coalition with enough parties so that you have the majority of the seats. So, like, say okay. Labor gets 30% and the Tories get 30% and the Lib Dems get 21% or the Greens get 21% or whatever. And it's whoever can partner with enough people right. to make it that. And since yeah. this is separate from Parliament, what you're saying is come join us, Labor Party, and you'll get this position and this posi- you'll get these pieces of power yeah. Within the government. Okay. Yeah, I think, the, I guess I, I couldn't speak to the cabinet, but I know when it was the Tories and the Lib Dems, is David Cameron was the prime minister and Nick Clegg was the deputy prime minister who was the head of the Lib Dems. Okay. Although I don't think the Lib Dems are going to get 21% because the leader of the Lib Dems, I don't remember what ridiculous thing he said, but he shot himself pretty well in the foot. Where are the Lib Dems on the political spectrum? Center. Yeah. Center for England or center for here? I think center for England, but you want to think of Lib Dems as, uh, like, multicultural and understanding of, like, personal differences between people, but also pro-capitalist. Liberal centrists. Yeah, or or libertarian, but not, like, crazy libertarian, like, moderate libertarian. Okay. And then the other, I think, big party, or biggest party that... Bears mentioning is the Green Party, which is probably the furthest left party that has a chance. Um, before I, I would have said before Jeremy Corbyn became leader of the Labor Party, if that wouldn't have happened, they probably would be the ones we'd be talking about. 
Is the Green Party international? Is that are they associated or affiliated with the Green Party in the states? I don't, I don't know. know. Okay. I don't think so. Just but the same I'm, name and probably similar. But yeah, I like mean, a, environmental is their big thing. Right. But like the Green Party here, they generally attract a left wing politics. Okay. So let's do some predictions. Do you have thoughts? Yeah, I do. Um, I can start. Um, <laughs> I don't. Uh, so, looking at like the polling stuff again, especially with how things have been collapsing down for the Tories, I think the real thing that hinges is uh, millennial turnout. I just saw a thing today that it. I don't remember the exact percentage amounts, but basically the breakdown for millennial voters is almost the same it was for Bernie Sanders when it comes to labor. Just massive majority support labor and, you know, then Tories, then then down. Um, oh, you know, we didn't talk about UKIP. I don't know if they bear talking about... Um, that was... Are they a whole separate party now in the mix? Yeah. Okay, and they were the the primary driving force behind Brexit, right? Yeah, because okay. it's a United Kingdom Independence Party. Yep. Yeah, they wanted to leave Brexit, and then when they did, Nigel Farage, their leader, quit <laughs> because he's like victory. It's kind of weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't really get that. You think he'd vie for power and do something else, but instead he has a gig on Fox News, I think, or something. I mean. Hanging out with the president. <laughs> the whole Brexit vote was so weird when it went through because it felt like not only were people surprised that it happened, sort of like how people were surprised that Trump got elected, but even the people like Nigel Farage who were campaigning for it also seemed a little bit surprised by it. It's definitely not the action of somebody who was expecting it, to, in, in my eyes. Like, it seems like then you would maybe have discussed it ahead of time. Like, yeah, if we win this, that's that's my goal. That's where I will step down, actually. But I don't know. Maybe you would hide that. Maybe people wouldn't support it. But it definitely doesn't seem like the action of somebody is like, oh, yeah, it went through just as planned. See ya. Step yeah. two. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye, Step country. two. Toodles. Uh, yep. <laughs> Oh, I don't actually know what to do now. I lit that garbage fire. I better get I, out of the house. I just wanted to rise to popularity based on people's anger. I didn't actually want real power. Which could have been maybe Trump's internal monologue as well. It's definitely his internal monologue now. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry. Uh, yeah, I think it'll really depend on the youth vote. Uh, if I want to be optimistic, I will say that labor takes it with a slim majority. Um, I think more realistically, labor and Tories are about even, and labor is able to form some sort of coalition between them, the Greens, maybe the, uh, oh, I can't think of it, the Scottish, the Scottish, Scottish National Party. Yeah, SNP, thank you. Um, or and or uh, the Lib Dems. Uh, that that's what'll go over because I feel like most of the other parties don't like the Tories terribly much, especially after the the Lib Dems were used as kind of a punching bag for them when they were in coalition with them. So I think that the Tories would have a hard time forming a coalition government if they don't get a majority. I think that their popularity is just going down too much for them to get the outright majority. So, and especially with the UKIP, labor, that's where labor has been gaining ground is the places that UKIP has had seats there. You know, it's 
uh, again, like Bernie Sanders, the, the working class appeal of a socialist policy, like, you know, okay, maybe you guys voted for uh, Brexit because, you know, you don't like immigrants or whatnot, but you know what? We got to stand in solidarity with other workers and, you know, make this country better again. Uh, so I'm going to... I'm going to say Labor Coalition Government. I like that you went optimistic because this is going to make a nice contrast. I'm going to go pessimistic. I think that one, the th- one of the, another similarity between Brexit and Trump was that it turns out our polling is not very good at picking up on the voters in support of Brexit or the voters in support of Trump. Whether it's because they don't trust pollsters or surveys or whatever, I don't know. But for some reason, we underestimate them in surveys in our, or in our polling data. Uh, so that's number one. So even though Theresa May has gone down in the polls, I am skeptical as to how much of it, like, I think you got to adjust that for the Brexit, Trump, whatever factor that... She might actually have more support out there than those polls are showing. That's what we've seen for every similar election so far. Now, I shouldn't say every similar one. Other European countries didn't got did not uh, elect a Trump-style candidate, even though they had some running. Um, but that's number one. Number two, the Conservative Party and Theresa May at the head of it. As far as I, the polls I've been seeing, even though she's down from where she was before, they're still, like, the clear plurality. They still have more votes than Labor. They still got a good lead on Labor, and Labor's in number two. So even if Theresa May's government does not get maintain a clear majority, and actually this, okay, so my, if I have to pin down to, like, one scenario for my prediction, my, like, put it all on 38 black kind of scenario, this is my prediction. Theresa May and the conservatives will lose seats, but they will retain a majority. That's, that's, that's my super specific prediction. A little bit more broad, if I'm going to give myself some cushion room, I think they might lose a strict majority but they'll have so close to a majority that they'll have enough power to form a coalition government you know if you're at 49 percent i feel like you have a little bit more pull to form your coalition government than another guy who's at 39 percent and you got to get a 12 percent person to join you you know mm-hmm. so i i think Brexit is going to continue i think Theresa may is going to stay at the front and I think she's going to be a little beat up. She and the Conservative Party are going to be a little beat up, a little slowed down, a little less credible after this election. But I think the the march will sludge on. Sorry to be a downer. Well, we'll have to see what actually takes place. We'll have to come back and revisit this and talk about the results. Oh, I have no, I have no predictions. All right. If that's we- what you're, is that what you're pointing at me for? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um. Two other things with this. So I've heard supposedly credible rumors that if Tories win, Theresa May might step down. So, so well, just gonna have a rotating door of Brexiters, right? Well, the thing is, she never wanted Brexit, even though she's the one who triggered it. Um, 
I, I don't know if anybody has anything to say to that. Um, but a question I do have is, so Jeremy Corbyn won a tough leadership election and then just pretty handily won a challenge to the leadership because, again, the like party mainstays uh, hate <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn because I have no idea why. It's like it is like the Democratic Party. They just really hate anything that might be change or progress in favor of just capitalists. I guess uh, it's it's really bizarre. Well, but, you know, I don't know about the political funding in Britain, but if it's anything like political funding in the United States, there's a there's a reason why you want to keep Bernie out is because he challenges the funding model of the capitalist party, or. Hat, I said capitalist mm. party when I meant Democratic Party. See that, <laughs> but I'm not so far off. But that's my point: is that the the Democratic Party has, over the years, become a party of a different sector of the capitalist class than the Republican Party. But both of them have become parties of capitalism in one form or another. You know, capitalists that can afford to give their workers health care and pay above $15 an hour, they're more likely to support Democrats. Uh, you know, the capitalist sector that pays minimum wage and is involved in dirty oil and blah, 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 they're more likely to support Republicans. But I think they're mainly parties of the capitalist class. And Bernie Sanders is a challenge to that. And that doesn't surprise me at all that those capitalists do not want him challenging the system that keeps them on top. I know. I, I remember being in middle school, so this would be like 15 um, or 17 years ago, and, and hearing my father talk about how both parties were just the, the, the same thing. They're just rich people controlling things and, and in different uh, colored ties. And, and so I know that feeling has been around for a long time, that, that idea. Uh, but really, I think it was Bernie that really put it brought into sharp focus for me because a lot of what you could say about the democrats would be like they have more left-leaning policies they they care more about welfare things to mitigate the sort of harsher edges of capitalism and you could say well that's just because the balancing the other side of that lever is, is uh the republican party so you can't go too far over or else people won't listen to you so you have to like balance out from them you have to you have, progress takes small steps so you could always give them the benefit of the doubt and say well they're only coming this far left because they realize that you have to build, um, you have to, you know, a, a walk of a mile, a million miles takes one step. So they're, they're working towards it. But then when Bernie shows up, it's like, well, this is a very clear example of working towards it, continuing down that path. And that establishment just shut him down so hard. And then, yeah, it just brought all that, that, that contrast heightened that, oh, they really are in a, on a level identifying more as capitalists than on a lot of the, their other ideals that they might that you might have supported them for at least me personally and all of that was already there it just was kind of sugar-coated um and now it just it's a lot less harder for them to deny i think all the campaign funds they were getting were there all the support they were getting from different parts different corporate sectors and the republicans and actually some overlapping ones were there the support the the bank bailout a, a lot of that stuff was there, but it's just much more apparent now. I think it's going to be harder for them to de deny it moving forward. Yeah. Um, I look a quick looked up how the British do it. They their parties are different than ours, and that you actually pay like a membership fee to be a member of the party. Whereas 
the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, there aren't actually any members of those parties. <laughs> there are representatives for those parties in power, but there's no actual members, which is really weird. Well, there are members, but it's very uncommon to be one, especially like in our state, in Wisconsin, where you are allowed to vote in the primaries without being a member. Right. So, well, like, there's no... There's not, like, a strict benefit of becoming a member. Well, you're not technically a member. You're just registered as. Yes, that's right. right. It's, it's dumb and weird. Anyway, a lot of their money comes from membership fees, and then they do take political donations, which are a problem, and then other sort of stuff. And smaller parties get state funding. So, yeah. Okay. Um, oh, I was going to say... Do we think, though, that Jeremy Corbyn, if he loses this, if Labor loses, will face yet another leadership <laughs> challenge? I hope not, because the fact that he's doing way better than was expected, to me, that's good news. Um, so, I, I hope he stays in. I, I don't have a good feel on whether or not he will be challenged based on it. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i sure he will be, but whether he'll be seriously challenged based on it, I don't know. As we zoom out um, geographically and time-wise, it gets harder to predict things, but what effects on Europe in general do you think this election, election could have moving forward? Do you think it could really shape how they exit the European Union and things like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, in... I don't know if people in Britain feel the election is this, but I, it seems to me like this is the take two on Brexit right now. You know, if, if you want to double down on Brexit, you vote conservative. If you want to change your mind, you vote Labour or someone else. Yeah, But Labour isn't saying they'd pull out of Brexit. I mean, honestly, I don't think actually no. they can. But <clears throat> I, I agree. I think that what it is is if the conservatives get in power, or if the conservatives retain power, I should say, they will set up all of the trade deals and all of these other negotiations, and they're going to make it as advantageous for the large capitalist powers as possible and as disadvantageous for your average worker. Whereas labor will do what they can. I mean, Britain's kind of just screwed. <laughs> like, just leaving the European Union, they're crude pretty bad yeah, and best case scenario like whatever the uh, most positive deals you could strike would not be as good as just remaining within the european union right and yeah. the, especially because the european union is pissed at britain for this like they're not going to give them a good deal at all no matter who's in power but i think if you get labor in power corbyn will work to set up worker protections and do what he can to make life as good as he can for all of britain's for all of all of the people in the United Kingdom, not just people in Britain. Yeah, I think you have... I Northern think it's Irish. a good point to make that no matter which party wins, I bet that party is extremely unpopular once the Brexit proceedings and negotiations start going through. Because you're right. They're like one country, even though it's an important country in Europe, it's a big country with a big economy, big-ish. You know, not, It's not Germany or whatever. It's not the biggest... But it's big enough, but it's compared to the entire rest of the European Union, it's not big enough. You know, that's that's like one of the, that's just how 
capitalism works. And not to say that these negotiations are strict capitalism, but the world that we live in is shaped with a capitalist mindset. And it's just, when you have somebody who has 52, de- 52 cards out of the deck and you have the other two, like, that's not a level playing field, right? Like, the, the larger, when, when two entities negotiate, the larger entity is going to get the better deal. That's, that, I guess that's the simple way to say it. Yeah. And the other thing, too, that'll, I think, really affect Britain, um, and we'll see how that goes for, like, worldwide, is the city of London. Because I don't know. The city of London is a really weird thing. It's a city within a city. It's the financial center of uh, the United Kingdom, and it's been there since before the United Kingdom. And they have weird deals where they're their own separate weird entity. Um, it's really, really bizarre. CPG Grey has some good videos on sort of what is the city of London. Yeah. We should probably link to. And it is complicated. And so like having somebody really explain it clearly for you is helpful. But even those I've had to watch multiple times just because there's so much going on. Yeah. But what's true about this, and I'll be curious to see what the knock-on effects are, is a Brexit is going to hurt that financial center hugely. And that's number two or even number 1.5 for financial centers in the world. It's like New York Stock Exchange, City of London, Tokyo Stock Exchange, and then I don't, I couldn't tell you what the next one would be. Right. So that, that'll that be an interesting thing to see, sort of how the knock-on effects of that go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I, if I were Angela Merkel right now, I'd be setting up a financial sector and maybe like giving some subsidies to it to try to take that. The problem Number is two or three spot. The German banks are just so dumb. Like as the 2008 financial crisis was like everything was falling apart, Deutsche Bank was the one who was buying up all of these uh, subprime mortgage assets. So like, oh yeah, these things are hot. Give them to me, and everybody's like, all right, take them, man, <laughs> go for it. So, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that that would be what I would think too. Is that Germany would poise itself to be financial center as well as industrial center. Right. And then they'll really extra dominate the EU. Marxism Today is created by Red Wagner and Tony Schmidt and is a project of the Democratic Socialists of America, Madison, Wisconsin chapter. We are not official spokespeople of the DSA and the views expressed in this podcast are our own. You can find us on Twitter at Red Wagner 2, that's the number 2, and Schmidt AJ, that's S-C-H-M-I-T-T-A-J. Our episodes are all available for download on our blog, marxismtodaypodcast.wordpress.com. You can share your thoughts about this episode and others on our subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash marxismtoday. Also, you can find information about the Democratic Socialists of America Madison chapter on our Facebook page, facebook.com 
slash DSA Madison. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.